0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've had a wilderness season, a season where maybe you felt dry or distant from God or the way that your faith used to work doesn't work anymore and you've got questions and you're wondering what this is all about. Is is this even for me? A, a, a testing time, maybe it's come through um, a transition in life, or some sort of grief, or loss, or tra- tragedy, or maybe it just comes from questioning, you've been exposed to other ideas, and you're like, how does this work? When I was um, on staff here in 2014, it was actually a really, really tough season for me personally. Um, it was just one of those times in life where everything just seems to pile in at once. I'd been the youth pastor here for two years and I had successfully grown the youth ministry from when I came on staff to, you know, our biggest night was 150 to 2014. Our youth band was bigger than the youth. And uh, so we grew from up here all the way down here and I was feeling really terrible about my leadership abilities. And at the same time, we were... um, We were exploring church planting with a little group of people and planning, and there was a whole bunch of relational fallout that um, caused a lot of pain and hurt um, for us, for Mel and I. And then uh, Mel and I took a trip, we were doing some church planting training in the States for three weeks, and during that time, um, a bunch of our youth leaders had left the church, you know, not necessarily for bad reasons, they just moved away, and so we came back to a team that was half the size. While we were away, one of our young people was tragically stabbed and killed, and seasons where it just I, I realized that my internal world was not large enough to handle my external world. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before and it was just a it was a busy season. I think I was out at a meeting or something every single night and I was just you know working two jobs. And I just th- thought you know I don't know if this life is for me. I don't know if I can do this and it caused me to make a whole bunch of changes that I'm really grateful for now but at the time, it felt like absolute crap, like it, it sucked. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, a wilderness season. I'm, I'm willing to bet that many of you have gone through a season where you felt dry and distant and confused, and I'm willing to bet all of us will go through a season like that, and probably there are many of us in this room that are feeling like that right now. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, I wonder what the way of Jesus has to talk has to talk about those wilderness seasons that we all go through. Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn with me on your phones, I think we're going to have it on the screen. Oh, there we go. Look at that. That's very nice. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Notice this. So Jesus had just been baptized. It's an incredible moment. Uh, He gets baptized, he comes out of the water, the sky opens up, the spirit descends like a dove, the voice of the Father says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. It's incredible, like a mountaintop peak experience. And then the the next verse, then Jesus was led by the spirit. Isn't that interesting? The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I, I don't know, to be tempted by the devil doesn't sound like a good thing doesn't sound like something the Spirit would want to lead us into. So what's going on here? The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. That word wilderness, in the Greek, it's eremos, And it's, we see it 51 times in the New Testament. It's a, it's a key theme all through the New Testament. We're going to come back to that later. But eremos, it means, it means a, desert, a desert space, a lonely place. The Spirit led Jesus into a lonely place to be tempted by the devil. This doesn't sound right, does it? Maybe, maybe, it just sounds like the Spirit wanted Jesus to be in the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Why would that be? Why would the Spirit want to lead Jesus to be tempted by the devil? Maybe, just maybe, there is something about the wilderness Something about the eramos, the testing, that is actually essential to our spiritual formation as followers of Jesus. This is a season where Jesus just got baptized and he's about to launch into public ministry. But before he does, he goes into this wilderness season, this liminal space, to be tempted. And just maybe the wilderness is an essential part of our spiritual formation. I wonder what is produced in the wilderness that couldn't otherwise be produced. I wonder what's produced in you in those seasons of testing and crushing and distance and confusion and grief that couldn't be otherwise produced. See, we often see the wilderness as an opposition to our faith. We often see doubting or grief or transition as, a, as something coming against my faith, testing my faith, rather than something to enlarge in my faith, to expand my soul so jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and now we we sort of can read past that but jesus went toe to toe with the devil and in jesus mind the devil is a very real person a very real entity that he went to fight in the wilderness and the way that he fights the devil have you ever noticed in this passage the way that he fights the devil is actually through spiritual practice Silence and solitude. He's fasting for 40 days. The devil comes at him and tests him. We're about to read in a second, and he replies with scripture. The way that Jesus fights the devil is through spiritual practices. Very interesting, isn't it? And tempted. That word, I reckon a better translation for the word tempted there is to be tested. And now, None of us like tests. I mean, there's maybe a few of us who are strange people who like to be tested. None of us like to be tested. We don't like tests, but we do like tested things. If you are going to get surgery, you want your surgeon to have passed a few tests, right? If you're buying a new car, you want to make sure that it's passed a few tests. If you are just hypothetically building a church building and previously the church building, the roof had collapsed... You might want to, as you're building the building, just test to see that it it will actually stay up, right? We we don't like to be tested, but we like tested things. And this is exactly what's happening here. Jesus is being tested. We need testing in our lives. The University of Arizona, they built this thing called a biodome. Arizona is a very dry, arid place. And the university built this big dome it's sort of like a, like a greenhouse-y type environment where they were just growing all this stuff. They were doing all these tests. They were sort of dialing in the exact right humidity and temperature and, you know, the soil, you know, all, all the nutrients and everything. It's like this perfect environment for growth. And what they found was all these trees grew straight up. They were just like dialing all, all the, all the little, little dials in perfectly. These trees were just growing right up straight, and then they would just fall over. And so they're like, what's going on here? Maybe there's too much humidity. Maybe we need to turn the temperature down. They're doing all these different tests. And one student comes up with the idea that maybe there's something about wind and storms that actually helps grow trees. And the biodome was perfectly like manicured for these trees to grow, except there was no opposition. There was no testing. What they found is that trees actually need storms and testing as they grow because their roots grow out and they can sustain the the growth that goes up. The roots go down. And I think testing in our life is sort of like that. We don't like being tested, but we do like tested things. It's the same with our own soul. It's the same with our own spiritual journey, that we actually need to be tested. So it goes on. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That makes sense. The biblical authors are very smart. And often when you see a number like that, 40 days, um, the biblical authors don't use numbers just as kind of data points, but to convey meaning, to tell story. And as, as readers of the book, people of the book, we are to read a, a number like that, 40 days, and we're automatically meant to throw back to some stories we know, if you're a reader of the Bible, that involves the number 40. Anyone know any stories? Anyone can think of any? Shout them out. The flood? Yep, 40 days, 40 nights. There's, there's raining Noah on the ark, right? Was a season of testing, wilderness, yep. Any? Moses? Moses? Forty forty years in the desert after he killed the man and he's he's, he's out um, tending to sheep and he hears the voice of God. So Moses learnt how to see God in a new way in the in the burning bush. Any other stories? Guy the, the guy and the whale, three days. But that's another one. Three days is good. But any other forty forty stories? Any. 40 years in the wilderness, Israel. So, so they come out of the Exodus, 40 years in the wilderness, waiting to go into the promised land. We see Elijah, who is up on the mountain for 40 days before he hears the still small voice of God. Uh, Moses as well. So there's lots with Moses. Moses was on Mount Sinai, the same mountain as Elijah when he received the tablets, the Ten Commandments. 40 is just over and over and over again in the biblical story as this time of testing, this liminal space, this time of transition, a time of preparation. We see it over and over again. And then we go into the testing. There are three tests that the devil comes and brings against Jesus. This is the first one. Uh, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first test was the need for material things. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and he was hungry. It makes sense. And so the, the devil comes and tempts Jesus to use his power to get his own material needs met. We all have that temptation, right? To clamor for material things, to feel like we get our own needs met. We all want that. We all want the, like, the next thing. We all want to feel comfortable and safe. We all want to give in to just our material needs, what we want, what we feel like, what we want to do. The need for material things. It goes on, verse 5 and 8. Then the devil took him to the holy city. Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt a foot on your stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not, you must not test the Lord your God. The second test was the need for power or control. For Jesus to use his power to jump off and control an outcome. And we all have that need, right? We all, all want to control our world. So much of our planning and strategy, we're very Western. We want, to, we want to strategize everything. It's a need for control. It's a need that I want to have things under control. But actually, a healthy life is realizing that there is a whole bunch outside of my control. There's a whole bunch of stuff inside of my control. But there is a whole bunch of things in life that I cannot control. And the quicker we learn that and realize that, the, actual, the happier we'll be. For many of us, COVID was a season of realizing that we have less control than we think. We have less autonomy and freedom than we think, right? Our illusions of control got shattered. And in many cases, that's a good thing. Because the quicker we realize that there's a whole lot of stuff outside of my control, the healthier we are as souls. Then the third test was the need for recognition. Verse 8. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All the kingdoms. All the kingdoms of the world. I will give it all to you, he said. If you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus. The need for recognition, this is the third test, that the devil t- takes Jesus to the highest point and says, all the cities, of the, all the people of the world will bow down to you if you just bow down to me. And notice here, when we put ourselves on the throne instead of God, this is the this is temptation, then the devil wins. When we put ourselves in the space of recognition, clamoring for people's eyes and attention, clamoring for people's um, acceptance or honor or recognition, actually, when we become driven by that, the enemy wins. Because we were never meant to be on that place of the throne. That's God's space. Jesus replies, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The wilderness just maybe is an essential part of our formation. And these three tests, I think, show us something about what the wilderness does in us. There are three things I want to share that the wilderness does. Number one is the wilderness purifies us. The wilderness purifies us. In the wilderness, we crucify our flesh. That's very Paul language. Or Jesus talks about taking up your cross. There are parts of us that actually need to be cut out. That's what the biblical idea of flesh is. There are parts of us that is not healthy for us. There are parts of us that are getting in the way of me becoming a person of love. That's the end goal of spiritual maturity. That's the litmus test of becoming a mature follower of Jesus, is you become increasingly loving towards God and loving towards neighbor. A soul moving outwards. And so the the wilderness seasons, when we feel like we are questioning and doubting and we're unsure when we're feeling lonely and isolated and distant from God it is actually a season of crucifying our flesh crucifying our need for material things when things aren't going right when we lose a job or whatever it is crucifying our need for control when COVID comes and we realize that all the plans that we had and the the holiday that we booked or whatever it is is canceled and crucifying our need for recognition And anytime we go into a new season needing those things, needing material things, needing control, needing recognition, it will crumble us. And so this is the work of the wilderness. It purifies us of those things that actually get in the way of us becoming a people of love. All of these structures are stopping us from becoming a people of love. The wilderness... teaches us to thrive even if I don't have all my material needs met, even if I don't have a bunch of control over my life, and even if I don't have any recognition from the people around me. And it is possible to thrive without those things as much as our culture wants to say you need all those things. The wilderness teaches us that the soul is bigger than that. In the wilderness, we untangle the devil's lies from God's truth. The main weapon of the enemy is lies, twisting truths. He takes scriptures and he misquotes them slightly. Very profound. The second thing the wilderness does is the wilderness grows us. The wilderness enlarges our soul. Um, St. Thomas of the Cross Uh, was a catholic priest in the 1500s he wrote a book called the dark night of the soul and in that book he talks about every christian on their path to maturity must go through what he calls a dark night of the soul or what we're calling the wilderness this morning a time when he says you have a purgation of the senses it's very uh sounds like a grand language but when you don't feel god anymore that's what he's saying there will become a point in your spiritual journey where the things that used to work don't seem like they work anymore. You don't feel God or sense God in the same way. And the reason that happens is because of this, this is a psychological phenomenon called object constancy. And I'm throwing a lot of words around here, you're tracking with me. Object constancy, which is when you have a baby, they don't have object constancy. So when mum leaves the room, they think mum doesn't exist anymore right? That's why they cry. And slowly, as you mature as a human, you realize that even if mum is in a different room, she still exists. We still have a relationship, right? That's object constancy, to realize that your husband or child or friend still exists even when you're not with them. That's a mature human being. You don't have to be around them all the time to know they exist. The same is true for our growing with Jesus. By the way, object constancy is the reason why peekaboo is a terrifying game to play with a child because every time you go behind things this is an existential crisis dad doesn't exist anymore and then he's like oh here he is and he's gone and he's here it's very mean to play that to a child but object constancy is us realizing God is still there even when we don't feel him that is actually the role of the maturing season of the wilderness That even when I don't feel like God is with me, even when I don't get the same feeling when we worship or the same feeling when I read the Bible or when I go to, you know, connect group, whatever it is, or when I turn up to church, that God is still present and he's still there. There is a distinct lack of the voice of God in this story. Even after Jesus just had this incredible moment of the God, of, of the Father audibly speaking to Jesus, we don't see the voice of God except through Scripture. And part of the maturing of us as followers of Jesus is realizing that even if I don't sense God right now, I know he's there, I know he exists, I know I am part of a bigger story that makes sense. Object constancy. It's the wilderness or the dark night of the soul that teaches me object constancy with God. So the first thing the wilderness does is purify us. The second is grow us. And the third is the wilderness prepares us. The three things that Jesus was tested on, the material things, the control, and the recognition, he actually all gets in his ministry. But now his soul is in a place to actually handle that because he's he's come against the test of the enemy that wants to give him those things in a distorted way. And so we see the story, for example, of Jesus feeding the 5,000, multiplying Bread—it's kind of the same, the same miracle that he was asked to do. Except now, instead of feeding himself, he's feeding five thousand other people. It's the motivation is love, not selfishness. See what's going on there? And then um, power or control. Jesus just does incredible feats of power. He walks on water. He calms storms. He casts out demons from people, he's healing diseases, all this stuff he's doing, yet now he's doing it for others and not for himself, not to prove something. Recognition. Over the next three years of Jesus' ministry life, so much of it is going to be uh, bound by the crowd, the crowds following him, the crowds just shouting his name. We see in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, the crowds come and it says that Jesus slips away to the wilderness to pray isn't that interesting he, sli- he slips back to this place when the crowds are all around him and he's getting he's, they're sh- chanting his name and they just want to hear his teaching and they're coming from everywhere he slips away back into this space to pray because it's like this this anchor point again that my soul doesn't need the recognition of all these people. I'm here to serve people. They're not here to serve me. That's what Jesus came and said. So the questions that we need to ask ourselves, you know, when we find ourselves in a liminal space, entering into a new season, a wilderness space between one season and another, is am I letting the wilderness do its work? When I'm doubting or going through grief or loss, Am I letting the wilderness do its work? I'm convinced that so many Christians in Australia are stuck at a certain spiritual maturity because we actually don't let the wilderness do its work. And we go into a new season and we run back to the old season still with those same core needs, the need for material things to be met, the need for control, and the need to be loved or the need to have recognition. The wilderness gives us a healthy purging of those things. There's a place called the Atacama Desert. There's a, a picture here that Caleb's going to throw up. And it is, is there? Or well, there's not. There might not be. That's fine. The Atacama Desert is a place in Chile, and it is one of the driest places in all of the world. It's, in fact, the place where they go and test, like, Mars gear, Mars rovers and stuff, because it m- most often mimics... Uh, Mars. It's just super dry. But every so often, they get seven years worth of rain in one day, and what happens is a thing called the super bloom. And underneath the the Atacama Desert is all these wildflower seeds, and the desert that's just dry and barren turns into just this fields and fields of color and light and beauty. It's pretty incredible. Uh, You can Google photos of it when you get home. But I, I love that illustration because... Underneath the desert, underneath the wilderness, are all these seeds of wildflowers. They call it a super bloom. And I reckon that's a perfect image for what the wilderness does in us. It is is a space that helps the underneath of us, the soul of us, be filled with seeds that at some point will bloom. We don't control the rain. We don't control when that happens. But as we walk through the wilderness... We are allowed to be bloomed. Uh, Isaiah puts it like this. He says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wilderness leads to the launch of Jesus' ministry. The wilderness leads Noah to dry ground. The wilderness leads Moses to the exodus. The wilderness leads Israel to the promised land. The wilderness leads Elijah to the still small voice of God. But first, we must let the wilderness do its work. And here's the thing. You cannot win the wilderness. When you find out about this, you find out about the wilderness. We're well, like, how do I get this done quick? You know? What do I have to do? What are the steps? How do I win the wilderness? How do I, how do I you know, get this train moving? Let's just go to the next thing. The thing is, we have to let the wilderness do its work. Jesus, the most profound figure to ever live in history, God in flesh, our model, our prototype for what it looks like to be a human of love, went through the wilderness. How much more do we each need to go through the wilderness and let the wilderness do It's work. I'd love to pray for you this morning. And um, if you would, maybe just to close your eyes, just to take a deep breath. Just remind yourself that the presence of God is here, closer than the breath coming in and out of your lungs. I'd love to pray for you, particularly if you identify right now that you are in a wilderness season. You feel dry or distant or lonely. I'd love just to pray a blessing of you for the wilderness. If that's you, just with eyes closed for for your sake. If you just lift your hands just so I know who I'm praying for, yeah. Yeah, tons of hands. Spirit, we thank you that you are good. And we just recognize that times like this are actually very hard. And I pray for each of us this morning that are feeling in that wilderness space, in the dark night of the soul, where maybe the things that we used to do just don't seem to work anymore. Where the way that we saw you and felt you doesn't seem to be as a motive anymore. Things are a little bit duller. God, I just thank you for that reminder again that even though we don't understand it and we may not like it, that Spirit, it is you leading us into the wilderness. And we thank you again for that reminder that the wilderness is not there for the wilderness sake, but the wilderness is there for our own soul to prepare us for the next season, to purify us, to grow us. And so I just pray a blessing over each of these people. May the wilderness do its work. May the wilderness enlarge our souls. May the wilderness turn us into people of love. May the wilderness crucify some of those things off us, the need for material things, the need for control, the need for recognition. I pray that as the enemy comes and wants to test us and trap us with liars, may we fall back to the practices, silence and solitude, fasting, scripture. May they be our guide in this season. May this season produce people of love. God, I thank you for the next season that you have for each of us. The thing that you're calling us, the ministry, the promised land, the whatever it is. God, I pray that this season would do its work so that we can do our work in the next season. We ask for more and more of your grace. I just pray against um, shame for any of the people facing a season like this right now. I pray against um, the need to feel like they have to do it alone. And I pray that you would bring a greater depth and resolve as they walk out the wilderness. May it do its work. And for all of us, I pray that we would continually be people of love, that we would follow in your way, Jesus, that we would not be um, tempted by material things. We would not be tempted by the need to control and we would not be tempted by the need for recognition. May we increasingly be healthy souls turned outwards. Help us to follow you.